In Christ's love, dear fellow redeemed, grace and peace are ours through our Lord Jesus Christ, even when we may not always feel it or see it with our eyes. We know it by faith in here. Do you ever feel like maybe you're kind of kicked to the curb a little bit? People don't call and ask for your opinion as much as they used to. It's a little harder to fill your calendar. It's not filled for you. You don't complain as much as you used to about the rat race because you'd kind of like a few more, not rats, but races <laughs> to be a part of. You have to actually create things to put on your calendar. You didn't really have to check to see whether or not you could come today. You knew you could if you wanted to. Sometimes we feel that way. Also, what happens is we often are also during these times sitting and because of our technology and our age in which we live, we entertain ourselves with the television. And because we want to stay connected, we watch the news, at least some a little bit every day. Or it's our phones that we page through. You can even make it give you an alert for the five top things you need to know today or something like that. I'll tell you that as a pastor, some of the most unhappy Christians I have met are people in retirement. Often because they feel kind of kicked to the curb and they watch too much news. I've, I've stood in that narthex back there with more than one man who sat and watched the news enough and gotten so depressed by the the bad things that are being, things that are being reported that are happening that are bad in the world, that he's weeping and tears are rolling down his cheek because he got to church and he wants to tell his pastor the world's going to hell in a handbasket and wants to get it off his chest. That feeling that I want to know what God says and where God is when I take time to observe the world and see that wickedness is still very healthy out there. Sin is still very prominent. And people who have seemed to have no scruples or spiritual moorings tend to be making a whole lot of money and living a rather carefree life. That feeling that I just described is the very feeling that Asaph said he had he didn't talk about it as anybody who's retired, but as a thinking, believing Christian, which is what we are, right? And so I chose Psalm 73. Asaph has many Psalms, not as many as David, but he has many Psalms in the, in the Psalter. But I chose his Psalm 73 to share with you because Asaph takes us on the journey of, of having angst about why a good God would let wicked people prosper in this planet, on, this, on God's planet. And he had angst about that. He had those tears. He had that stress. He had that crisis in his heart about how could God be so good if he lets evil be so wealthy and so prosperous on this planet. And so in case that might be something that tempts you, I wanted to give you a sermon on it. And, and introduce you to Psalm 73 so it would become your friend and you, would, you and God would have that between you and him to work through even after today with understanding. 
So we're gonna, that's what we're going to do is walk through this psalm. Now let me tell you who Asaph was. Asaph was a priest who was from the Aaron's family and a Levite from the tribe of Levi. And he, he was someone whose job then was, and his family job, was to take care of all the temple worship, to lead worship, to take care of sacrifices that the people brought, and to focus all of his life work, his vocation, on serving God and Israel with their religious spiritual practices. Therefore, this is important for understanding the particular color in the psalm, which is beautiful. Therefore, Asaph as a priest got no portion, and that's a biblical word. He got no portion when God spread, and none of the Levites did. When God, when Joshua conquered the land and they divided it all up, the tribe that got no great territory or land and families that got no uh, like in America, we'd say the 160 acres. <laughs> they, they got none of that. They, they lived off, they could have a house with a little yard, but they, they lived off the tithes of the people that were brought for the Lord. So the Lord's portion was their portion. But in a way, they were kept out of the commerce of everyday life so they could focus on leading God's people in God's word which would be and is a rather wonderful experience. For clergy today, like me, it's, it's still sort of the way it goes, that you live off the tithes and offerings of the people as you serve the Lord in your vocation. But it's not exactly the same. So Asaph is sort of sidelined from the, uh, the competitive capitalistic market of Judaism which had a, just for you Americans, which had a little hint of socialism because you, you had to make sure you always gave a tenth of everything and then a fifth of everything and then you let, them, let the poor people glean from your field and, then, and, and had all of that going on. And he watched as, as, as Jews in that system, some who were very unscrupulous while they called themselves God's people, prospered even though they were wicked and then he watched as the wicked Babylonians and others prospered even more sometimes as they preyed on God's people and all this bothered him in his heart and he was kept to the side as a priest and not even able to compete for his own living and he said God I, you're good to it. you say you're good to your people but it doesn't look like it so now we're ready to look into the psalm and he does give us the solution so I'm going to get look at it in the, the printed word here. You're going to have it on the screen. So let me get my Bible back open to it. Okay, Psalm 73. Here's the promise. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. God sees if someone is an honest believer and trying really hard. Surely he's good to them. That's what Job would say. That's what his friends, Job's friends would say too. Asaph is saying the same thing. But... Verse 2, as for me, thinking that way, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, they have pride. The pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence. 
From their callous hearts come iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, free of care. They go on amassing wealth. It makes me feel like this, he says, verse 13. Surely it's vain. It's a waste of time that I have kept my heart pure. Because God's not good to me like he is to them. It's in vain have I washed my hands in innocence. Going to the temple and making sure that you were right with God. All day long, I've been afflicted in my conscience. And every morning, it brings new punishments for me. This uh, bearing down in my spiritual life and trying to be a good person isn't paying off. And God's good to those people. Uh, it's happened once or twice in my life of working hard to be a good Christian that I was watching the news and seeing all the bad things. And then I, I let, it's happened, let the news turn off and what comes on next? A late night show, right? And they tell you right away who they're going to interview, right? And there'll be a couple of movie stars or singers or whatever. And it's happened that I thought, oh, that's an interesting person. I kind of know about them. I'll just stay on and watch. Some of them are people that played very good characters in shows that I really liked. But as they interviewed the actor or actress, I saw just how scoffing they were about faith or about sexual purity or whatever, right? And I'm a Christian watching this and the people are laughing and then they take a shot at the church or at clergy and I'm going, what? Why, God, did they get to be so successful and have such an audience? And, and I get all the feelings of Asaph. Those are moments in my life where I've felt Asaph's pain. Asaph says, when I think about them, they just seem to keep prospering. And it drives me crazy. If you're really there, why don't you take care of this? We want a change of circumstance. We want, if we, we've figured out where God's kind of not getting it right if he's really there at all. You see how, where doubt leads? If he's really there at all? And Asaph had all those doubts. Yep, there needs to be a change. Asaph is going to teach us this. Listen very carefully. There needs to be a change. But it's not in the circumstances or how God allows them to go. It's in your heart when you're feeling that way. That's hard because you're so busy pointing at the wickedness and how God lets it prosper. It's hard to turn that finger around and say the change needs to happen right here. Because it feels so right to be so judgmental of evil. It's evil. Evil is evil. Be judgmental of it. Actually, we're being judgmental of God. He doesn't seem to be right. It's everything that Job was feeling after all the calamity had happened to him, and he didn't know why. Asaph is feeling it. Until he went to church. Until he went to church. Then he got the answer. And we're going to follow him. Because he wants us to. He wants us to, to, to go with him on this journey. He's trying to teach us something. Look at verse 15 with me. 
It's uh, back up to 15. Um, oh, if I had spoken out like that, that it's vain for me to serve God, if I'd have said it out loud, I would have betrayed your children. Because he's a priest. He's a teacher. He said, what if I'd have gone into the temple and complained out loud while I was having these feelings? He said, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till, till I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place the wicked on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise from your dream, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. I'm going to pause there and just comment a few things. What, here's what he's saying. When I was wondering why God would let this happen, and I was envious, he said at the beginning, I was envious of the arrogant that they get to live a carefree life and my life is so troubled and I'm one of the good guys. He goes, while I was doing that, I was, I was only living in my mind and measuring whether God was good or not based on a, the life on earth that we have that has a beginning and an end and is very temporary. But when I entered the sanctuary, which is the temple, and I heard your word talk about life beginning when God, in the mind of God in eternity, he had us conceived in our mother's womb, and he makes our soul last forever, and that when you die, you're judged for heaven or for hell, sheep or goats. He said, when I got the eternal perspective, I realized Whatever you're doing by allowing them to have any prosperity, it is only for a short time. And then they're going to be forever at their eternal destiny. So, God, I figured out from, again, from your word that you're not, you're not giving your final statement on their life by this temporary situation that the wicked find themselves in. You're not done with them yet. You will take care of all matters. I got the eternal perspective. And I have my, here's the assumption. And he's going to tell us more about that. But I, he's saying, I have my eternal destiny secure because of you. But they don't. And this little picture of a dream. He says, as in a dream when someone awakes. This, this is the a very powerful illustration if you slow down and you understand it. Do you know how you sometimes, some people can't remember any of their dreams. I know a few people said, I've never remembered one dream in my life. Uh, I'm not one of those people. I can remember, the next day I can remember what I dreamt that night a little bit. So, uh, do you know when you have a very meaningful dream? I don't even mean that the meaning is positive. It might be very meaningfully negative, scary, powerful, in, in, in it, in, and it overwhelms your mind. I know when Mary has had one of those because I live the whole dream as soon as she wakes up for about the next 10 minutes. She wants to tell me everything about that dream. She's got her husband right there and she wants to share that dream because it's overwhelmed her mind. It can be good. It can be bad. I have those too. But here's the deal. It's so real. Until you wake up. 
And then, if it was a really scary bad dream, you are completely relieved. If it was a really good dream, better than your life, you're completely disappointed, right? And if it was like my parents have gone to heaven, I had a dream the other night where I was sitting with both of them talking, and it was like they were still with me all along. And then I woke up and realized they were, and it was really sad. Because the dream no longer is reality once you wake up. That's what he says the life of the wicked is like. It's like a dream. It's not their reality forever. But they are real. And they are going to live forever in heaven or hell. You see what he's saying? This life is as temporary as a dream. So here's Asaph getting all bent out of shape and worried about whether God is being good to the right person or not when it's all, everyone's life is temporary. It's about a dream. It's about being good to someone from God's perspective is giving them grace in Christ, grace in the gospel, grace in forgiveness that gets them rescued to eternal life. And he said, when I went into the sanctuary and I knew that I was eternal and I was saved, and they were not. I quit envying them because what they had was just a dream. He realized he was actually a man of God teaching people about God and eternal life living as if he were completely without faith when he envied the wicked. He says that's like living like an animal who doesn't know the gospel because animals don't know the gospel. They just know they're here. They know that, that they're here and they, whatever their brain allows them to ascertain around them. But he says, I was like a brute beast. So that's what he wants to tell us. Verse 21, when, I, when my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered when I was feeling that way, I was senseless. And ignorant, I was a brute beast before you. you cre God created human beings to have a knowledge of grace. He, he has to give them that grace. But we have the capacity to believe that he loves us and forgives us, that he's watching over us, and that he's going to give us eternal life. He didn't give that capacity to a cow. Or a dog. Or a bird. So when humans act jealous... Of other humans as if there's no God out there in eternal life. We're acting like a dog. Because I was like a brute beast before you. Just an animal. And then he's ready to tell us that he's not that way anymore. See those were the words of a repentant heart. An honest person. Now he says verse 23. Yet. These little words in this psalm. But, till, yet. They are all huge words. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Here's what he recognized. There may be some wicked people who have more money and more health than we do. We maybe actually have more illnesses and less money than them. But if they're wicked people, they don't have God holding their hand. They don't have God as a dad, as a father that walks them through their troubles. 
They don't have a God who gives them guidance from his word and insight and wisdom and truth. They don't have any of that where they can just hold on to God's hand. They're lost. And, and, and they may not be telling us, but they're confused and they're scared. And they have a lot of guilt and they have a lot of psychological problems as they try to stuff that guilt or drown it in their pleasures. They don't have God. It's better to have God, the giver, than it is to have any of his gifts. Think of a, uh, the time in a family in America when everybody gets gifts, not just the birthday kid. It's Christmas, isn't it? So if you have multiple children, multiple brothers and sisters, and everybody gets gifts... Let's just put it in a little family nucleus. There's a mom and a dad. There's three kids. And, and they give gifts to all three kids. The heart of the parent is that they love their children. And so they want to, this is a Christmas tradition to give them happiness and give them something to show their love that's tangible and gift giving. Nothing wrong with that. But so often, children are comparing what mom and dad gave the brother or sister, Right? And losing the sense of joy in the giver that gave it. And the parents are worried about that. So they're like adding up the dollars amount and the appearance. And we're still doing it with adult kids at times, right? And we're trying to figure it all out to be fair and all those things. When in fact, you know when the child has grown up in their faith, when they just love having that parent. They don't really care about the gifts they're so thankful to have that parent they love the giver it's wonderful freedom to be mature about grace that in grace and mercy those parents have loved those children when not one of them deserved anything and God's our father holding our hand and he loves you with, you never deserved anything and he gave you the greatest treasure, which is your, his son, Jesus Christ, to take all your sins away. He gave you, Jesus and the Father gave you the Holy Spirit and his word to guide and teach you. Guidance is in that passage. All done. And whatever struggles or successes you have are all done. And your life will be unique to you. What's the prize at the end? It's in the verse. You guide me by your hand. You give me your guidance. And then you will... Take me into glory. You get to leave the angst of this life, this temporary dream that has troubles in it, and you get to wake up from it in a better place. Remember the dream illustration? But the wicked, they wake up in a worse place. God is the giver, not the gift. Right? When he becomes, though, the gift in your life, then you don't care about what he divvies up to all the other people. Asaph's going to use that word portion. Do you remember what I taught you about portion? As a Levite, he got no portion among Israel. Okay? He says, who do I have in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. I love the giver. My flesh... And my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
God is my portion. I'm, I'm really drilling down on this pretty hard because I, I want you to have it as a great treasure in your heart. So I'm going to give you another illustration. Board games. Like Monopoly or a game called The Game of Life. Have you played? If you just put your little hand up, have you played either one of those? Okay. So in our families, you kind of you know what they are, right? They're a game where everybody gets a, a, a character, right? A little, a little part. You're going to get some money. And then you're going to live life by rolling the dice and going around the board. The game of life or Monopoly. Different games, but very similar. And the way that you win is to end up with all the money. Or the most money, right? Depending on the, which game you're talking about. And when you play in a family with children, and sometimes with adults, embarrassingly, People get, they start the game with this great family happiness in the middle of the game. They can get so upset, they can grab the whole, ta- the whole game, shut it on everybody and say, I quit, I'm not playing anymore. Or just get up and walk away because they're upset. Like, like the game changed who they really are, their identity. Or the game changed the gifts that they have in the family, in each other, and their parents, and the home that they live in, and daddy's job that pays for things, and... Right? The game, isn't it amazing how the game like has creates an artificial winner and loser? And I was playing with my foster son uh, a game the other day, and, and usually because of this dynamic, I let my kids and my foster kids win. <laughs> I don't want them playing a game and living their whole life hating the fact that they played the game because they felt like a loser. But this time I thought it's probably time to learn a lesson. I, we were playing risk and I could tell I was winning. And he was getting more and more. And you could tell he just wanted to say, I quit. I said, no, 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 you're, you can't. You got to keep playing all the way to the end. And, and, uh, and then I said, here's the coolest part about the game. And this is what I want to remind you of. I said, we shut the board. We put all the pieces away and you and I will never, of course, I didn't know I was going to preach on it, but you will never remember the game again. You don't need to, you don't have to. Put it away, we'll get it out some other day and we'll play again. It'll be a very different game. That's life. Because God's our portion, not what's in the game. Like in a game, you, you may have a million dollars, but in real life, you may have a thousand. Right? But what you have in real life is a real thousand. What <laughs> they have in the game is all fake. Well, that's the way it is right now for this temporary life. Everything that we have is in a box. It's all going to be folded up and put away. But God is our portion. So while we're going through the game, we can actually stay happy. While he does his business with a person by blessing, what looks to us, blessing a wicked, or not so much a righteous, or vice versa. We get jealous about him blessing other good people, right? Because God is working with every individual in their time of grace to use both challenge and blessings to cause them to realize they need him as their savior. And we're supposed to let go and just say, I got God. I don't need to understand what you're doing with all these other people and compare my life to them because you're my portion. You're my portion. What would it look like if you live in that freedom? 
you'd certainly be a person with contentment and joy and peace. So when you recognize that you're, what you're seeing, if it's on the news or in your family or in your community, is upsetting your joy and your peace because of the way the games are going, you know you're starting to live for the portion in this life and you're starting to judge God and people based on things that are not what you heard here today. So what it looks like is joy and peace and contentment in all circumstances. So that Paul the Apostle could say, give thanks in all circumstances and really mean it. And don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer and petition, make your request to God. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Paul could lead us to peace and thanksgiving and contentment. You know what else it looks like? It looks like a person, instead of talking about how bad it is out there all the time when you get a chance to make small talk, you actually talk about how good God is more. And you're not always just parroting the news and how bad it is. Because you know why I say that? Only because it's in the psalm today. Look at the very end of the psalm. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near you. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And what's the last line say? I will tell of all your deeds. Remember he said, if I would have told you guys, he says in the psalm, if I had told you what was in my heart, I would have betrayed the children of men. So I kept it to myself. Because I'm a teacher in the temple and people were coming in. He said, so at the end of the psalm, he says, so I got this all figured out. That God, it's all about having a relationship with God who loves us in his grace. And is going to take us to heaven. So I'll talk about that. That's what I'll talk about. But I'll do it from a sincere heart. Because I'm not a hypocrite complaining and envious anymore. Because God renewed me because I went into his temple and I found his word. I hope that if COVID has been keeping you away from the word enough that you're kind of gotten a little distant from what I just taught you again, that you've always known. I hope you leave with a heavy dose of peace and contentment and joy because you, dear Christian, are a child of God with God holding your right hand, guiding you through life, and you're going to be with him forever in glory. Don't let the news and the death count and the case numbers, don't let them decide whether you're going to be happy or not. You're in the hands of an almighty Savior God. You, if you've watched any of my devotions, you may have seen that I have a dear friend named John Christ, who, whose wife, Deanna, just during this COVID time, was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and now she's almost gone. They did surgery, didn't help at all. Now it's in her lymph nodes, and she's passing fast. I, I, uh, she's being ministered to very well by her vacancy pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but I'm a friend of theirs and they're a pastor. So I call them almost every day and we do devotions over the phone. Uh, I had a different closing uh, person to talk about, which was my grandma, but I'll push that aside for a minute. I want you to hear about John. John and Deanna's extended family. And John and I are, are close enough that he shares, he, he shares, um, Feelings that he has that he wants to talk to his pastor about. And he's okay with me sharing. I'm not sharing any details with you. He, he's, they've had extended family that have hurt them over the years. And now they all want to come see her before she dies. Well, they spent adult years all kind of social distancing. So they didn't have to deal with each other because of the pain. 
that they've, ex they've experienced from them. And John said to me today, this morning, they're, they were coming over this weekend. I really didn't want to see them. But they need to see their sister. She's dying. And there's unrepented sin and no, not acknowledgement of hurt. You know, all those kind of things. And yet, he said, my daughter, who was involved in the whole, one of the biggest events that were negative, she's the one that said to me, Dad, you got to get over that in Christ. And you got to let him come see Mom. You got you to gotta get over it. So I did, he said. It was hard. But before they left, he said, instead of being mad at them, like I've been for years and dealing with all the blame, he said, I was thinking about how can I get them this beautiful gospel that their sister Deanna is depending on, that she has peace because of. And so he said, I was pulling out devotional thoughts and verses here and there. And while they were seeing her, <clears throat> I was in the kitchen writing them on notes. And then I went over to my little copier and I copied them off because there's like five of the siblings there. And I gave one to each. And he goes, I don't know if they'll ever read them. But man, do I have peace. Remember what the psalmist said at the very end? Once I got over all the troubles, I, I said, I'll, I'll tell of all your deeds. He went from wanting to tell them off to telling them about Christ. That's what it looks like. Amen.